Book Five, Part One of A Confederate Girl's Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Confederate Girl's Diary by Sarah Morgan Dawson. Book Five, Part One, August Fourteenth to August Twenty Fourth, eighteen sixty three. New Orleans, August 1863. Friday, 14th. Doomed to be bored. Tonight Miriam drags me to a soiree musicale, and in the midst of my toilette I sit down with bare shoulders to scratch a dozen lines in my new treasure, which has been by me for three days untouched. I don't know what tempts me to do it except perversity, for I have nothing to say. I was in hopes that I would never have occasion to refer to the disagreeable subject that occupied the last pages of my old journal, but the hope proves fallacious, and wherever I turn the same subject is renewed, so there is no longer any reason in waiting until all mention can be avoided. Yesterday a little sly, snaky creature asked me if I knew the hero of Port Hudson. Yes, I said briefly. "'Unmistakable! I see it in your face,' she remarked. "'See what?' "'That you betray yourself. Do you know that everyone believes that you are engaged to him?' In surprise I said no. Such a thing had never been mentioned before me until then. "'Well, they say so, and add, too, that you are to be married as soon as the war is over.' "'They are paying me an undeserved compliment,' I returned.' Where could such a report have originated? Not certainly from him, and not most assuredly from me. Where does Dame Rumor spring from? He is a stranger here, and I have never mentioned his name except to the Pierces, who would no more report such a thing than I would myself. I won't mind if it does not reach his ears, but what assurance have I that it will not? That would be unpleasant. Why can't they say, let everybody settle their own affairs? Here comes Miriam after me. What a bore, what a bore! And she looks as though it was a pleasure to go out. How I hate it! Glancing up the page, the date strikes my eye. What tempted me to begin it Friday? My dear Ada would shiver and declare the blank pages were reserved for some very painful, awful, uncomfortable record, or that something would happen before the end of it. Nothing very exciting can happen except the restoration of peace, and to bring that about I would make a vow to write only on Fridays. Sunday, 16th. Coming out of church this morning with Miriam, a young lady ran up with an important air as though about to create a sensation. "'I have a message for you both,' she said, fixing her eyes on mine as though she sought something in them. "'I visit the prisoners frequently, you know, and day before yesterday Captain Steadman requested me to beg you to call, that he will not take a refusal, but entreated you to come if it were only once.' The fates must be against me. I had almost forgotten his existence, and having received the same message frequently from another, I thoughtlessly said, You mean Colonel, do you not? 
Fortunately, Miriam asked the same question at the instant that I was beginning to believe I had done something very foolish. The lady looked at me with her calm, scrutinizing, disagreeable smile, a smile that had all the unpleasant insinuations eyes and lips can convey, a smile that looked like, I have your secret, you can't deceive me, and said with her piercing gaze, no, not the colonel. He was very ill that day, did you know it, and could not see us. This was really the captain. He is very kind, I stammered, and suggested to Miriam that we had better pass on. The lady was still eyeing me inquisitively. Decidedly, this is unpleasant to have the reputation of being engaged to a man that every girl is crazy to win. If one only cared for him, it would not be so unpleasant, but under the circumstances, ah, sa, why don't they make him over to the young lady whose father openly avows he would be charmed to have him for a son-in-law? This report has cost me more than one impertinent stare. The young ladies think it a very enviable position. Let some of them usurp it, then." So the young lady, not having finished her examination, proposed to accompany us part of the way. As a recompense, we were regaled with charming little anecdotes about herself and her visits, how she had sent a delightful little custard to the colonel, here was a side-glance at my demure face, and had carried an autographic album in her last visit, and had insisted on their inscribing their names, and writing a verse or so. How interesting was my mental comment. Can a man respect a woman who thrusts him her album, begging for a compliment the first time they meet? What fools they must think us if they take such as these for specimens of the genus! Did we know Captain Lanier? Know him? No. But how vividly his face comes before me when I look back to that grand smash-up at Port Hudson, when his face was the last I saw before being thrown, and the first I recognized when I roused myself from my stupor and found myself in the arms of the young Alabamian. At the sound of his name I fairly saw the last ray of sunset flashing over his handsome face, as I saw it then. No, I did not know him. He had spoken to me, begging to be allowed to hold me, and I had answered, entreating him not to touch me, and that was all I knew of him. But she did not wait for the reply. She hurried on to say that she had sent him a bouquet with a piece of poetry, and that he had been heard to exclaim, How beautiful! on reading it. And do you know, she continued, with an air that was meant to be charmingly naif, but which was not very successful, as naivete at twenty-nine is rather flat, I am so much afraid he thinks it original. I forgot to put quotation marks, and it would be so funny in him to make the mistake. For you know I have not much of the, of that sort of thing about me. I am not a poet, poetess, author, you know said Miriam in her blandest tone, without a touch of sarcasm in her voice, Oh, if he has ever seen you, the mistake is natural. If I had spoken, my voice would have carried a sting in it. So I waited until I could calmly say, You know him well, of course. No, I never saw him before, she answered, with a new outburst of naivete. 
Monday, August 24th. A letter from Captain Bradford to Miriam. My poor Adonis, that I used to ridicule so unmercifully, what misfortunes have befallen him! He writes that during the siege at Port Hudson he had the top of his ear shot off. Wonder if he lost any of that beautiful golden fleece eclept his hair, and had the cap of his knee removed by a shell, besides a third wound he does not specify. Fortunately he is with kind friends, and he gives news of Lydia, most acceptable since such a time has elapsed since we heard from her. He says, Tell Miss Sarah that the last I saw of John he was crossing the Mississippi in a skiff, his parole in his pocket, his sweet little sister by his side. Oh, you wretch, at it again, and somebody else in his heart. How considerate to volunteer the last statement. Then followed half a page of commendation for his bravery, daring, and skill during the siege, the only kind word he ever spoke of him, I dare say, all looking as though I was to take it as an especial compliment to myself, and was expected to look foolish, blush, and say thank ye for it, as though I care. Monday night. I consider myself outrageously imposed upon. I am so indignant that I have spent a whole evening making faces at myself. Please, Miss Sarah, look natural, William petitions. I never saw you look cross before. Good reason. I never had more cause. However, I stop in the midst of a hideous grimace and join in a game of hide-the-switch with the children to forget my annoyance. Of course a woman is at the bottom of it. Last night, while Ada and Marie were here, a young lady whose name I declined to reveal for the sake of the sex, stopped at the door with an English officer, and asked to see me in the entry. I had met her once before. Remember this, for that is the chief cause of my anger. Of course they were invited in, but she declined, saying she had but a moment, and had a message to deliver to me alone, so led me apart. Of course you know who it is from, she began. I told a deliberate falsehood, and said no, though I guessed instantly. She told me the name then. She had visited the prison the day before, and there had met an individual whose name, joined to mine, has given me more trouble and annoyance during the last few months than it would be possible to mention. And our entire conversation was about you, she said, as though to flatter my vanity immensely. He told her then that he had written repeatedly to me without receiving an answer, and at last had written again, in which he had used some expressions which he feared had offended my reserved disposition. Something had made me angry, for without returning letter or message to say I was not displeased, I had maintained a resolute silence, which had given him more pain and uneasiness than he could say that during all this time he had had no opportunity of explaining it to me, and that now he begged her to tell me that he would not offend me for worlds, that he admired me more than any one he had ever met, that he could not help saying what he did, but was distressed at offending me, etc. The longest explanation! And she was directed to beg me to explain my silence and let him know if I was really offended, and also leave no entreaty or argument untried to induce me to visit the prison. 
He must see me. As to visiting the prison, I told her that was impossible. Oh, how glad I am that I never did. But as to the letters, told her to assure him that I had not thought of them in that light, and had passed over the expressions he referred to as idle words it would be ridiculous to take offence at, and that my only reason for persevering in this silence had been that brother disapproved of my writing to gentlemen, and I had promised that I would not write to him, that I had feared he would misconstrue my silence and had wished to explain it to him, but I had no means of doing so except by breaking my promise, and so had preferred leaving all explanation to time and some future opportunity. "'But you did not mean to pain him, did you?' the dear little creature coaxingly lisped, standing on tiptoe to kiss me as she spoke. I assured her that I had not. "'He has been dangerously ill,' she continued apologizingly, "'and sickness has made him more morbid and more unhappy about it "'than he would otherwise have been. "'It has distressed him a great deal.' "'I felt awkwardly. "'How was it that this girl, meeting him for the first and only time in her life, "'had contrived to learn so much that she had no right to know, "'and appeared here as mediator between two who were strangers to her, "'so far usurping a place she was not entitled to, "'as to apologize to me for his sensitiveness, "'and to entreat me to tell him he had not forfeited my esteem, "'as though she was his most intimate friend, and I a passing acquaintance?' Failing to comprehend it, I deferred it to a leisure moment to think over, and in the meantime exerted myself to be affable. I can't say half she spoke of, but as she was going she said, Then will you give me permission to say as many sweet things for you as I can think of? I'm going there to-morrow. I told her I would be afraid to give her carte blanche on such a subject, but that she would really oblige me by explaining about the letters. She promised, and after another kiss and a few whispered words, left me. Maybe she exaggerated, though. Uncharitable as the supposition was, it was a consolation. I was unwilling to believe that any one who professed to esteem me would make me the subject of conversation with a stranger, and such a conversation. So my comfort was only in hoping that she had related a combination of truth and fiction, and that he had not been guilty of such folly. Presently it grew clearer to me. I must be growing in wickedness to fathom that of others, I who so short a time ago disbelieved in the very existence of such a thing. I remembered having heard that the young lady and her family were extremely anxious to form his acquaintance, and that her cousin had coolly informed Ada that she had selected him among all others, and meant to have him for a beau as soon as she could be introduced to him. I remembered that the young lady herself had been very anxious to discover whether the reputation common report had given me had any foundation. As soon as we were alone, I told mother of our conversation in the entry, and said, "'And now I am certain that this girl has made use of my name to become acquainted with him.'" End of Book 5, Part 1